Hi, welcome to Story Hall, a podcast exploring the lore behind the most important stories in the world. So pull up a chair by the fireplace and let us put a story in your hole. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian. Wait, no. Hi, I'm Spooky. Well, I already said that. Um, I'm Brian. <laughs> I'm I'm Goblin Roger. Oh, and I'm I'm Joey. That's running in and out of doors like an episode of Scooby Doo. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Hello. We have a uh, something to announce right now. We uh, Kevin ran into the woods. Yeah. yeah, we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. I don't know. I think he got. I don't think he got sasquatched. Yeah. Oh yeah. Turned wild awesome. out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be fair though, he kept saying, "I'm going to get squatched tonight." I know. <laughs> it seemed like he was wanting to. Wait, you make it sound like it's like a sex act. I, 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 I'm just quoting him. <laughs> when you get sasquatched, do you think that that you get like a sasquatch eats you, or you turn into a sasquatch? Because I was thinking he turned into one. Yeah, sasquatched. I heard like a transmutation into yeah. a beast. Getting squatch uh, sounds like sex to me. Well, wow. I think it has something to do with beef jerky. I saw those commercials, and I mean, that's that's all <laughs> I can really put together. Is that a Jack Link's <laughs> reference? Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Uh, yeah. A little bit the best. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is our last Halloween yeah. fire time story. I'm going to miss it. Get into the, I know, I'm not ready yeah. to go back um, indoors. No, yeah. me at all. I always like this part of the year. This is always the most fun. And then and then we have to go back to our warm homes and have mm-hmm. Thanksgiving together. Yeah, great. Yeah, when we could be out here eating squash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you guys ready to get spooked? I am. Uh, I don't know. We'll okay. see. All right. Well, I'll see what I can do. My story is called Who Put Bella Down the Witch Elm? It sounds playful. Down the witch hell? No, witch elm. Oh, witch elm. It's a, it's a type of uh, type of a tree. W y c h e l m. Witch elm. Okay. I don't know anything about this story yet, but I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say, if anybody wants to put me down the witch elm, okay, mm-hmm. I'll do it. <laughs> right. I, I hear it's delightful this time of year. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of like the the plot to Nightmare Before Christmas. Doesn't he just go to trees and? <laughs> in some, in so. a, down, down into a Christmas world. I don't know. Is that how how Christmas starts in that movie? There's yeah. like a, they go to a forest and there's a tree for every holiday. Yeah, yeah. You go down the witch elm, oh, takes right. you to Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so if it was a witch elm, it would totally be a tree down to Halloween. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, this story takes place not in the fantasy land of Jack. Man. Sparrow. What's his last Sparrow. name? Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Skellington. Skel- <laughs> Anyways, April 18th, 1943 in Britain while World War II is going on. And we have like this weird. So this is all a true story based on accounts of police and witnesses. But it starts off super movie because it's a coming of age story of four kids who are doing something illegal and stumble upon a dead body, oh. which is the plot of stand by me right yeah mm-hmm. and every okay. and every kid's dream yeah. yeah i mean it's funny because when i was planning on doing this story i was i told kanita if 
your friends called you up and said, there's a dead body. We're going to go find it. What would you do? And she'd be like, definitely not go. Yeah, you got to go. And I feel like my answer was absolutely, because <laughs> there was a time where you were convinced you found a dead body, Yeah, Roger, I did think I found a dead body. Me. Joey, you were with me, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Joey and I went to, we were like hiking around by this river, and we found a cave, and we were crawling in the cave, and I, and I saw what I was very sure was a dead body and flipped out. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, I think there's a body in there. And then our buddy was like, well, let me see if it's a body or not. And he grabbed a rock, <laughs> threw a rock at it. <laughs> and, and then it we hit. all screamed and ran away. <laughs> and we all screamed and ran away. <laughs> so we called up our friends. And we're like, we think we found a dead body. And everyone's like, well, we got to go check it out. Yeah. We went, we went back at night. <laughs> yeah. <at> night. <laughs> we tried a couple more yeah. rock tests. Uh-huh. Turns out. Not a dead body. It was, it was a, a rubber a- rubber dummy that somebody left in the cave, which is yeah. almost almost as bad, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want to bet somebody was getting squashed in there? Oh, somebody got I squashed mean, in there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we want to get too graphic with it, but there was definitely a hole in the, in the underside. <laughs> the rubber dummy. Oh, yeah, no. So. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't get close enough to the, to the rubber guy. Yeah. Um, anyway, the four kids... Um, our younger selves in British form, Robert Hart, <laughs> Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne. Fred who do you Payne. think is who? Oh, shit. I feel Payne. like we, we have to have them represent each one of us for, <laughs> I mean, right? We'll get yeah. Kevin the worst one since he's not here, so he can get... Okay. Bob Farmer? He get Bob Farmer. I mean, I yeah. feel like I have to be Robert, Robert Frost. Is that what his name? <laughs> <laughs> the poet? <laughs> yes, you are the, the poet Robert Frost. Uh-huh. Uh, Robert Hart. Oh, that's it. That's, yeah. that's me. Which I... Uh, does that sound familiar to either heart. of you guys? Robert Hart? I knew a Robert yeah. Fart. <laughs> Same guy? <laughs> I hate you, Roger. and I also hate you because I laughed at that hey, yeah. I get, too easily. In my contract, I get one fart joke a year, and I just used it. Yeah, You nailed yeah, it for you me. Did good. You did good. You, you did have Joey kind of like parent you and be like, no, Roger. Yeah, you're better than that. Yeah. <laughs> And he isn't Joey, though. Yeah. He really isn't. Yeah, none of us are. Uh, Robbie Hart is the character of Adam Sandler's uh, character in oh, um, Wedding Singer. It is. Oh, really? Yeah. So I would like that if I could have that. Okay, a, you can have that one. Okay. Who are you then, Joey? Thomas Willits or Fred Payne? Um, I want to be Fred Payne. Yeah. All right. Um, that's, that's just me. That's how I am. <laughs> then do you know what that makes you, Roger, as Thomas Willits? Bobby, Will- Bobby Gillis? No, you're Tommy Willis, Tommy Willis, the little bitch who end up squealing. Hey, come on. You're the little squealer. Oh, yeah, the little squealer. Snitch. I, I wanted you guys to know that that's, that's what Roger's known for. I in do our like to friends. squeal, like a pig. He squeals. <laughs> Let's hear it. That's very good. Good at a lot of things. Pig noise is not one of them. That's <laughs> so stupid. Uh, okay, like I'll, I'll pretend like we're actually in the story. Um, anyways, so these four kids are by Hagley Wood. It's part of this uh, rich dude's uh, Hagley Estates. His name is Lord Cobham, and Lord Cobham wow. owns this estate. And it's an old like British thing where um, you had rights to... the One of the big distinctions between like nobility and commoners was they had these estates and they had hunting rights, specifically uh, pheasant, like bird hunting rights. Mm-hmm. And so what these kids were doing super illegally was either poaching like birds or what they call um, like 
nest hunting or bird nest hunting uh, where they would just go find eggs. So they were, they were either poaching birds or poaching eggs. Poaching birds <laughs> or poaching eggs. So they find this witch elm and they're like, that's a really good place for maybe an egg nest because there was a hollow inside the middle of the trunk. And so one of the trees, a farmer, Bob Farmer, was that Kevin? Kevin goes and investigates and he looks down and what he thinks might be a nest, he reaches down pulls out a human skull. Oh. oh. Is it is it gross or is it just like a bone? Is it like all like fleshy and, and, and rotten or is it just like a like a Halloween decoration skull? I think it's mostly a skull okay. because we'll find out later that she's been dead for 18 months. Oh. How big was that time. nest? Or rather, how big does he think a nest is that a skull could fit in it? He's just reaching into a hollow tree, like a hollow oh, Okay, log. got yeah. it. Yeah, and he feels something that he thinks is going to be a giant egg. He must have thought it was. Yeah, a he's, egg. Like, he's so excited. He sees a little bit of white. He reaches in there, like, "Oh, I did it!" At which point in time, he knows it's. At first, they looked at it and they're like, "I think it's an animal," but then they realize the teeth and like there's human hair still attached to it. They're like, "Uh, okay." So they come up with a decision. We were here illegally. Let's put it back and not tell anyone. Oh, what a bad idea! Their fingerprints yeah. are on it. Right. Well, I mean, they do they have they have fingerprinting back in the forties, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. people, have, people have had fingerprints forever, for, basically. Yeah, for a I long time. It. I'm pretty sure mine just grew like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it and, looked uh, great. Honestly, you're going to tell me, Roger, that you knew you had fingerprints before last year? Yeah, I've never <laughs> looked. What other parts of my body are there prints on? Well, I know, I I know. know that, Joey, you, you probably haven't seen them because you keep your hand in a Vaseline glove. Yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> it's for my wife. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Like classic Roger's counterpart, Willits, he feels uneasy. And when they go home, he squeals to his parents and they tell the local authorities and the police show up to Hagley Estates uh, under Lord Cobham's, uh, Cobham's uh, you know, tutelage. And they go and investigate. And sure enough, they find this body. So they start investigating because they're trying to figure out who this woman is. Um, they end up pulling out of this hollow witch elm uh, a complete skeleton a shoe, a gold wedding ring, and fragments of her clothing. And what's one of the weird first parts about this, beyond her being stuffed into a tree, is they find remains of her hand a few yards away from the tree. Oh, because I was... Disconnected from the rest of her body. Okay, because my first instinct was like, well, the the tree probably grew around her, you know? Uh Uh-huh. But that Uh doesn't make any sense then. Yeah. Right. Plus, when they do more investigation, forensics find that she's probably been dead for about 18 months. So they think that she died around this time, October uh, in 1941. And on a night they just found like this? Just like this. So we really should find Kevin. Either he's getting squashed or killed. He's, he's witch-elmed for sure. They find a, a piece of fabric stuffed into her mouth. So they think that maybe she died from suffocation. But when they do the like the logistics of the hollow part of the elm, they're pretty sure that she had to have been stuffed in there still warm because with the hollow size and rigor mortis, they wouldn't have been able to stuff her body into that location. So whoever kills her probably suffocates her. And then while she's freshly dead, stuffed into this tree 18 months before these boys find her. Hmm. But then there's this weird thing, kind of weird, because as you guys know... Um, they're in World War II at this point in time. So there's so many people who die or disappear that nobody really has an accurate tracking of where people are or who the dead are. So nobody's really able to 
find out who this woman is. So just because all the because the war is going on, they just don't have like the resources. Yeah. Pretty much that, as well as there's enough people dying and enough people disappearing. Okay. Uh, because either they move or displacement because of the bombings that are going on that uh, they don't really just know who she is. So we don't have the killer and we don't have who the victim is. Now, what makes this even more weird is two years later after they start finding her. So they find her in April of 1943. They're pretty sure she's been dead since October of 41. Christmas time, 1943. Somebody leaves a graffiti message by a house that's nearby uh, what they call Old Hill. Old Hill is like nearby Hagley Woods. And written in graffiti in chalk, it says, quote, who put Luabella down the witch elm? Hmm, they name her, huh? They name her as Luabella. And that's kind of a weird thing. People are like, oh, that's really, I mean, maybe they know her. Maybe that's something. But nothing really comes of it. It kind of goes silent until the next year where there's another graffiti message appearing in similar chalk and similar handwriting uh, in, up the street from that area in Birmingham. This message says, quote, who put Bella down the witch elm? hyphen Hagley Wood. So this one actually designates like that dead body. Uh. Not, not any other dead body, but that one. And then they change her name from Luabella to Bella. And then we get more and more messages from that. And then it seems to change from in the 40s, maybe somebody who might have known who she was to kind of like a, you know, kind of almost like cult response that like the community ends up doing it because there's graffiti well into the 70s and 80s where people will find somewhere in Birmingham and write it down who put Bella in the witch elm. Huh. It's kind of like a spooky Halloween-y kind of thing. Did they ever look up if there was a, a, a Bella that was missing? So that's one of the theories. And so the rest of my story is basically who was this woman? Because they never find the killer or anything close. It could have. So it could be one of us. It could be. Looking at, it was looking probably at Bob Farmer. Okay. I mean, well, uh, I like that immediate. Well, actually, <laughs> I mean, if anybody, it's Kevin. Kevin's the one who's not here right now. Yeah, he was, that's true. Yeah. Or alternative uh, theory, Lua Bella, Bella Lou Gosi. It was Dracula. Oh, <laughs> got it. <laughs> that's very, very well done. Thank you. I'm a detective. Okay. <laughs> so that's the first theory, Joey's theory, that it's Bella Lugosi. <laughs> The other theories, uh, there is a radio show host in 2014 that reports on a couple. Number one, in 1944, a Birmingham sex worker states that another sex worker that she knew called Bella worked in the area of Hagley Road. And sometimes she would go by Bella or Lua Bella. And that the graffiti basically is more or less implying that whoever was writing that graffiti was aware of her. Hmm didn't want to come out to the authorities but did want to kind of make it more publicly known. Because that person was also a sex worker? Maybe sex work. Maybe it had something to do with the crime. Nobody actually ever ends up knowing. uh, And that more or less just kind of ends up empty. Nobody really is able to find anything else about this woman. Mm. So that's number one. Number two, there's a statement made by a woman named Una Mosup in 1953. And she claims that her ex-husband, Jack Mosup, confessed to her that him and another man, a Dutchman named Van Ralt, murdered what? this woman. So the story that Jack tells Una, apparently, 
is that him and this Dutchman, Van Ralt, were drinking at this place called the Littleton Arms, which is a pub in Hagley Wood, uh, close to that area. They noticed that this woman got drunk and she had passed out. Now, I was trying to figure this out because some of my sources say passed out while they were driving. And some people kind of make it seem like she passed out at the bar and then they loaded her into the Hmm. car. Or maybe she was a prostitute and they were kind of going to, you know, purchase her services. But then she passed out. But I guess his claim was they wanted her to wake up in kind of a terror so that she would then go ahead and kind of see the error of her ways and straighten up her life. So he claims that they stuck her in a witch elm, at which point in time they left her because they were drunk and apparently maybe she died. Huh. So they were trying to scare her straight by stuffing her in a tree? <laughs> apparently, and I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's a British thing. I don't know if we're just losing no. it in, in the cultural divide. <laughs> you don't, you're not convinced by this show? No, these guys are definitely doing sketchy stuff, and they're going home to their wives and make it. No, we were trying to help her. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> Well, they did admit to kind of murdering her, right? Yeah. So there's yeah. that. Oh, Does that why count? this is has that, sub- is that I'm not on their side at all, but is that murder? If I if Joe, Joey, if you're sleeping and I pick yeah. you up and I stick you in a log and you die mm-hmm. in there, I don't know if that's my fault. It's probably like like accidental manslaughter or something. It's probably it's yeah. yeah, it's the log's fault. It's it's, it's the log. It's really. called the whoopsie daisy. Oh yeah. You ever yeah you ever heard the you get a free daisy? ride for the whoopsie daisy? Everyone gets one. <laughs> one fart joke, one one log. Yeah, one fart joke, one accidental murder in the log. <laughs> what makes this kind of weird is that Mossop is institutionalized, and apparently he claim well claims are that he has a reoccurring dream of a woman staring at him from a tree, uh, and that he dies uh, in the institution uh, where he's kind of obsessed with this witch elm like haunting woman. What makes this super questionable though is Una Mossop, the woman who makes this claim. She doesn't report the claim until 10 years after Jack Mossop's death, which happens before they found the body. So she reports in 53. They find the body in 43, which is kind of usually sketchy when your source is like, oh, yeah, 10 years. My husband yeah. admitted to this 10 years ago. So I don't know if you guys. Well, wait, Joey wait, 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 I'm sorry. Did you just say that he died before they even found her? Yeah. Oh, that's also kind of weird, but we're getting all this information from her, the ex-wife, after they found her. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a reliable source. We really have to trust in Una telling it straight, because if she is, then it seems pretty verifiable. But if she isn't, she's just kind of an attention seeker, then it doesn't seem reliable. Mm, yeah. The next one is kind of a cool spy one. MI5 declassified files in Britain are about this guy named Joseph Jacobs. And he's an Abwehr agent, which is a German spy, military intelligence. Hmm. He parachutes into Cambridgeshire in 1941. In his parachuting, he was going to try to make connections and make a British spy ring. Um, He breaks his ankle and he gets arrested. And on him, he has a picture of who he claims to be his lover, this German cabaret singer and actress named Clara Bowerl. And uh, she, he ends up claiming, I think under investigation, interrogation, that she was going to be trained as a spy and that she might be sent after him and that maybe Bella was this Clara. And she parachuted into the tree on accident? <laughs> I don't know if she went into the tree. I think some people suspect that maybe she was caught and murdered by agents 
or maybe by you know British defense forces and they just kind of stuffed her body uh, away and got rid of her um, or maybe she just went straight into the tree and was like whoops <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which would be so embarrassing because the the type of fabric they find in her mouth is um, taffeta which is a silky material which might actually be a parachute material huh. I haven't actually looked into that but man what if she just went straight into a tree and then straight suffocated the on her own parachute man that'd be so embarrassing <laughs> oh, no. especially for like a Clara. spy yeah, yeah, not a very good spy. Why we don't know if that's necessarily true is that uh, Clara Barrel is uh, six feet tall, and this woman was five feet tall. Well, so, I mean, she just she her parachute probably didn't open. She uh-huh. hit that tree going so fast it just shrank her down. Her, yeah. five feet. So I've seen cartoons. Yeah. She accordioned her way out. <laughs> and the only other thing is, is that they're pretty sure that Clara Barrel died in Berlin in December of 1942. Mm. Oh, but wow. it doesn't doesn't preclude her being a german spy ghost <laughs> yeah it's true so there's that um in 1953 kind of continuing with the spy issue there was a dutch woman named clarabella dronkers um who they believe got caught up in a german spy ring so this was an actual created german spy ring involving british officers and a dutchman as well and i can't tell if that's supposed to refer to this van this van halt guy van ralt from the Mossop story. Notice how a lot of these stories kind of seem to interweave with each other. Yeah. I don't know if that validates it or maybe this is just kind of your urban urban myth. Anyways, they say that uh, Clarabella Dronkers knew too much, so they kill her, but there's not really any evidence to support this. But if I were to have one to be true, it would be this last one, which it's just the coolest, spookiest Halloween one. In 1945, Margaret Murray, which is an anthropologist and an archaeologist from... University College of London proposes that the real reason why this woman was killed was witchcraft. And what makes her think that it's witchcraft is two things. First thing is that severed hand. She believes that the severed hand is consistent with the ritual called Hand of Glory. Have you guys ever heard yeah. of Hand of Glory? We talked about Hand of Glory First last season. Halloween or maybe yeah, maybe a couple seasons yeah. ago. We talked about how to make a Hand of Glory. Oh, okay. So you want to relate? Do you remember? Um, I remember parts of it. I remember that it's the it's the hand of usually, at least in my research, like a, a criminal that was yes. killed for his crimes. Uh-huh. And you take the hand and you, mm-hmm. you make a candle out of his fat. Yep. Um, and then you light the candle. Uh, it's either like held in the palm of his hand or sometimes between his fingers. Mm-hmm. And you carry around this dead man's hand with a candle in it. And uh, it gives you powers. Like you can get in any locked door. Um, if anybody sees you with the hand of glory, they like can't stop you from stealing their stuff. There's yeah, they're kind of like think, frozen motionless. Yeah, they're frozen. In, yeah, frozen in place. So it's like a thieves' tool, um, but it, it's just a gory, severed hand and Gore a dead man's fat candle. Yeah, well, I heard that they actually pickled the hand, so it wasn't so gross. And if you wanted That's to eat right. it, it'd be delicious. And they pickled it, if I remember correctly, in urine. I think they'd got like a couple different yep. types of pee. Horse pee, uh-huh. human pee, dog pee, maybe. And you pickle right. it in that. That's the perfect yeah. storm And pee. I think you also, after yeah. you pickle it in the pee, <laughs> you have to hang it uh, out on a, on a church door or on crossroads until it dries out. Right, which apparently this one doesn't do. What makes Murray think this was the case is because it coincides with a murder that happens nearby-ish that same year of this guy named Charles Walton, who doesn't have any of the signs. I don't know where the connection is besides Charles Walton kind of ritualistically being murdered and then pinned to the ground with farming tools. 
And hmm. I think the connection was between the, the the motionlessness of the hand of glory and then the motionless of his dead body as he was like pinned to the ground. So they think that some witches had made a hand of glory out of Bella's hand and then used it to murder this other guy? Murdered this other guy and then apparently a couple of other weird deaths in that area. Interesting. So it doesn't actually tell us who she was, who's Bella down the witch elm, but it is kind of interesting. And if you guys want to look at the uh, the file... They were able to reconstruct what they thought Bella looked like. And we'll put this uh, up on your yeah, Instagram. We're looking at a picture of her, of her face. So this is like a like a reconstruction yeah. of what she might have looked like. Yeah, based off of so, her teeth, her hair, and the skull. Huh. So it's creepy is, because it doesn't look like a real yeah, human. Like but again, it's like, it's like an AI, AI kind of recreation. Yeah. yeah. And so if, uh, if any of you guys have seen this Bella, then yeah, you should look probably... Yeah, if you look at your grandparents' um, photo albums... Maybe that maybe that's uh maybe that's your grandma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on a scale to one to spooked. I spooked. Uh, I'm chilled to the core. Yeah. My bones. I feel it in my bones, Brian. I'm chilled yeah, to the cob in a sense that I was like biting my nails really fast <laughs> and it looked like I was eating a corn on the cob and my nails were just flying everywhere. Oh, very yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Oh, uh, put this up. Yeah, we're looking at a picture of her, of her face. So this is like a like a reconstruction of what she might have looked like. So, yeah, based off of her teeth, her hair, and the skull. Huh. Yeah. It's creepy because so, it doesn't look like is, a real human. But I guess it's like it's like an AI kind of recreation. Yeah, yeah, it's like an AI AI generated. Yeah, yeah. Look in your if you look at your grandparents' um, photo albums. Mm-hmm. Maybe that maybe that's uh, maybe that's your grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On a scale to one yeah. to spook. Uh, I'm chilled to the core. My bones. I feel it in my bones, Brian. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> I'm chilled to the cob in a sense that I was like biting my nails really oh, fast, and it good. looked like I was eating a corn on the cob, and my nails were just flying everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's very good. Thanks, Brian. Um. All right, I guess I'll I'll go my last story of the of the season. Uh, I want to talk to you guys about the first case of alien abduction. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. It happened in the 1960s. <laughs> uh, okay, and that's to say, like, there were other alleged abductions, but this is the first case of like publicized media uh, that like shaped UFO culture as we know it now. So today, my story is the uh, the Betty and Barney Hill abductions, aka the Zeta Reticuli incident. Wait, wait, wait! Are you sure these aren't cavemen, Betty and Barney? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, they they're rubble, and these guys are hill. So very, very different type of Earth surface. Uh, so the year is 1961, and Betty and Barney Hill—they're just two regular, respectable people. She's a social worker. He's ex-army. Uh, working for the post office at this time. Uh, and they were married and living in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, around the age of 40. Uh, and they decided to go out on a vacation. They're going to go visit Niagara Falls in Canada. And on September 19th, at about 10.30 p.m., they're driving home from their trip uh, when Betty noticed a strange bright light in the sky and it appeared like a, like a shooting star but traveling upward. And then it began to move erratically. And it seemed to be getting larger as if it were coming closer. Now, they had their dog with them. Their dog's name was Delcy. 
and they wanted to let the dog out because it was like a five-hour drive. Uh, so they took the dog out to go for a quick walk and use the bathroom. And at that time, Barney pulled out, uh, you know, he pulled over and he pulled out a, a pair of binoculars that they had. And so they tried to get a closer look at this weird um, shooting star-like object. And they realize that it's flashing all sorts of colorful lights. So whatever it is, it's it's not a typical plane. Um he, Barney basically realized for sure this is not a plane. Whatever this is, you know, I used to be in the military. I've, I've seen planes before. This is not one. And they just get back in the car and they continue driving. And so, and, and while they're driving, it seemed that the object still kind of continued to get larger. It, it, it still seemed to approach them more. And eventually, they drive past a kind of famous mountain around the area. And, um, you know, it has kind of like a famous cliff face that's known as the old man of the mountain. And then they see the object appear above it. And in, they estimate that this object is twice the size of this cliff face. And it appears to be rotating. But they're still driving. And they get a mile down the road, maybe kind of towards the bottom of this mountain. And uh, then they suddenly see the object rapidly descend on the vehicle, causing Barney to hit the brakes in the middle of the highway. Now, the object is hovering 80 feet above their Chevy Bel Air. It's silent, and it appeared to look like a giant shiny pancake. And Barney took out his pistol, and he got out of the car to get a better look with his binoculars. And then he sees 10 humanoid forms wearing shiny black uniforms and black caps. And they all seem to look at him in unison. Are they just standing uh, now, around on the ground, or are they up in the ship? So they're up in the ship. The, the ship hasn't come all the way down from the ground. It's about 80 feet up. And he can see that there are a bunch of figures inside the, like the cockpit, I guess you'd say, of this, of this disc. And all of them but one step back. And as Barney kept looking... He couldn't describe telepathy as a term, but he basically said he felt something get into his mind and tell him to stay where he was, but to keep looking. Now, red lights start to protrude from the sides of this craft, and a bridge of sorts starts to descend from the bottom of it. And the craft is getting closer now, and in a state of panic, he tore the binoculars from his eyes and he starts running back to his car. And when he gets back in, he yells to Betty, they're going to capture us, and so he speeds off down the road as fast as he can. Now they begin to hear a mysterious beeping and buzzing sound, and it's uh, it's rhythmic and it's it's coming from what it seems like the trunk. And they they came to the conclusion that the thing was projecting something at the car, whether that's a sound or a ray or whatever else. But the buzz, as it starts to like you know reverberate through the car, they can feel it through their bodies, and then it starts to affect their state of consciousness as if their minds are being dulled. At this point. Their memories become spotty. They recall a sharp, unplanned turn and seeing a fiery orb floating in the middle of the road and then nothing else. So they awake in their car about 35 miles down from where they last remembered, you know, being completely conscious. And they arrive home around dawn. But their drive uh, shouldn't have taken that much time. It, it was a, The route was about a five-hour drive, and they were back home. Well, they should have been home by 3 a.m., but instead it was dawn. You know, it's 6 a.m., 7 a.m. And this isn't the, the only weird thing they noticed. Both of their watches stopped working. The leather strap on the binoculars was torn apart. Oh, no. No. Barney's dress shoes were irreparably damaged. Betty's dress was torn down. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna, he said he had to get new shoes after that. No respect for shoes. <laughs> yeah, Sunday's going to be embarrassing. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, also, not for dresses either, because <laughs> Betty's dress was torn down the hem and the zipper. Ooh, and the zipper. And the zipper. 
<laughs> but it also had pink residue on it. And then they started feeling strange, uncontrollable urges. Betty insisted that their luggage uh, needed to be kept from the main living quarters away, and so they put it near their back door. And Barney felt the need to keep inspecting his wiener and balls. Really? But he didn't find anything weird about them. <laughs> Is this really part of the story? <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. <laughs> so, so he just kept checking, and every time, hey, okay? Yeah. Good as new. Uh, so hey, they I- all showered to r- remove some sort of contamination that they suspected, and then they went out to inspect the car, which now had weird shiny spots on it. And these spots are concentric circles, uh, kind of where the beeps and buzzes came from. And so they start running their own little experiments. They go get a compass and they hold it up to the circle and it just begins to spin like crazy. And eventually these circles just fade away. They're gone. Hmm. Now, they're reluctant to share this story at first, but eventually confided in some members of their church. And these friends of them, uh, they said, you need to go report this to the local Air Force base. So a few days later... An official report was taken down, uh, and it was forwarded to Project Blue Book, which, for anyone who doesn't know, is the code name of like the secret official investigation of the UFOs at the time. Oh, that's cool. Now, yeah, I've heard of uh, you can actually, Blue you Book. Can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can look it up. You can actually read it online if you want. Now, I hear every time you take a UFO off the lot, it loses value, yeah. and an angel gets its wings. <laughs> What's that all about, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, now. At this point, Barney's starting to develop restlessness. He actually has high blood pressure now and PTSD because of the traumatic experience. Meanwhile, Betty is just looking for answers. And so she visits her local library to get a book on UFOs. And there was one that was written by a retired Marine Corps major named Donald Kehoe, who is also a member of NECAP, which is the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Uh, so she writes him a letter, the, the author of the book, and she describes the beings that she sees. And, you know, he receives it and forwards it on to an astronomer who's also a co-member of NECAP, whose name is Walter Webb. Now... Webb followed up with Betty and Barney, first interviewing them for about six hours, later bringing in additional members of NECAP to investigate. And Webb concluded that regardless of what actually happened, they truly believed what they claimed they saw. Now, around November of this year, Betty starts having these wild, vivid dreams in which she would wake up in her dream state, being forced by two small men with gray skin and blue lips to walk through the forest while Barney was sleepwalking beside her. Now, these men would escort her up this ramp or into a metallic disc-like craft and then into separate examination rooms. She would come to see one of the men as the leader, as she called him, and another as the examiner. And the examiner inspected her eyes, her mouth, her ears, her teeth. He cut off a sample of her hair. Uh, He trimmed her nails and kept some of those as well and then scraped parts of her skin onto a transparent film. And then he took out a really long needle and pushed it into her belly button. And Betty begins to scream... Yeah, she starts She yeah. starts to scream, and then the leader waved his hand like he's using the force, and the pain just vanishes. Hmm. Shortly after this, she's talking with the leader, and she picked up some weird book that had symbols she couldn't read and, and asked if she could keep it, And to which you know he said yes. Uh, she also asked where he was from, and he pulled down a map with stars on it. And when the ordeal was over, the gray men began to argue about the leader's choice to let her keep the book, because the others didn't want her to remember this at all. So he took the book back, and she told him, well, it's not going to matter, because eventually I'm going to remember this anyway. Barney was seeing a psychiatrist at the time to help with his PTSD, and so he asked the psychiatrist, Benjamin Simon, to hypnotize both he and his wife, Betty. And during the sessions, Barney began screaming with raw terror, 
He recalled seeing non-human figures, but kept his eyes closed during most of the examination out of fear. There are both tapes of his and of Betty's hypnotism, and they sound like blood curdling, very akin to like a black box recording of a plane going down, which I don't recommend listening to because it's very disturbing. But he recalled seeing... Through the hypnosis process, uh, he recalled seeing the binocular strap break on his run to the car and having this uncontrollable urge to veer off the road into the woods. And that's where he encountered six of the strange men. Uh, that's they, uh, When they would look into his eyes, he felt like they were looking into his brain. And his quote is this. I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine, and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. And all I see are these eyes. Uh, I'm not even afraid and they're not connected to a body. They're just there, just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. Um, And he would go on to describe this over and over again, just saying that whenever he would look in these aliens' eyes, they would just, like, like, take over everything about him. And so, anyway, during his examination, they took his sperm, uh, they scraped his skin, they inserted a cylinder into his butthole. So of the two of them, he kind of got the... Yeah, he got the raw deal for (laughs) sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But uh, during Betty's hypnosis sessions, she recalled the events just like she mentioned in her dreams. And under hypnosis, uh, the doctor, Dr. Simon, instructed her to draw that star map that she has asked the leader to show her. And what's really interesting about this is that eight years later, an astronomer named Marjorie Fish found a single matching map of the Zeta Reticuli star system. And Zeta Reticuli is only 39 light years away from Earth, and it hosts planets that could be habitable by, by life as we know it. And it matches so, the drawing she made? Yeah. And so if that you look was at before the, uh, anybody had known. This is So there's no way she could have known that this, like Betty wouldn't have ever seen that map previously. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Huh. And so if you guys take a look at the Discord or anyone at home, if you guys want to take a look on the, um, uh, uh, the Instagram, I'll post the picture and you can see her drawing. You can see the astronomer's um, uh, version of what the star system looked like and a computer-generated model that's more recent. So you can see... Uh, make I mean, a judgment call for yourself. almost exactly the same. Yeah. Nope. There are a lot of people that kind of, they, they choose to they say like, you know, like it's, it's different enough that it probably isn't true. But I mean, I don't know who's to, I mean, who's to say, I guess you could hypothetically just make any series of dots and find some stars that are similar to it. Huh? Right. I think so. I mean, if you look at the sky, everything's just a bunch of big dippers anyway. Just a bunch of big dippers. dippers. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Either way, the events uh, were impactful enough that, you know, it hit the news. All these people were really interested and invested in the story. And it goes on to shape a lot of what we see as the modern version of being adopted by an alien. Anal it probes. also impacted. Sorry. Anal probes. Anal probes. Cylinders yeah. in my yeah. butt. Cylinders in your butt. Um, it was also impactful enough that their niece ended up dedicating her life to studying UFOs because the trauma she watched her aunt and uncle go through. So, so it doesn't seem like pro- they were faking it for attention. It seems like it kind of wrecked no. their lives, huh? Yeah, it seems like it wasn't wasn't great. He actually. Do we know he, anything about them prior to this? They Are were they just like regular people. people. Yeah, they were they were good, upstanding citizens, regular people, um, and uh, for they, there was real no reason for them to fake this. So, um, I don't know. Joe, you mentioned it's, a book that she kept. Is that did she could she did she keep that? Did she show? Anybody? So she tried to, but the the aliens started arguing over oh, so if she's allowed it. to keep. So they, he took it back. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Aliens are real. You know, they're stingy with their stingy books. Stingy with their books. Yeah, they're like you can have it. Oh, just kidding. But honestly, these aliens, they they seem kind of nice to me, right? Yeah, she said that they they weren't well, bad. 
How many friends of yours have stuck cylinders in your butt, Roger? And more than you know, I'll tell you that. Oh, well, I guess <laughs> also, so. I mean, think about because if they're just studying us as animals, they're treating us pretty yeah. nice. Like in the same way that, like you know, researchers pick up animals, like scientists of ours, they're like if they're kind to them, you know, that's nice. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they probably see us as kind of like a rudimentary form of life. Huh? Yeah, but they're still right. treating us with some respect. But man, having to feel get that terror of seeing this weird being staring into your eyeballs oh, is like, yeah. man, that is the worst thought. If I'm, if I'm awake at night and I'm just looking out my door, if I just saw something there that wasn't human just staring at me, I would be so sad. <laughs> man, I would, I, I hate that idea. Oh, well. Well, hopefully, hopefully no one will come stare at my eyes anytime <laughs> soon. Um, anyway, how do you guys feel about the first deduction? I mean, it's... it's- I, for some reason, I believe it, and I'm usually very skeptical of alien abduction stories. But it seems, it seems like it holds more water. I think that map, and maybe I'm just being easily tricked because it, you could match these stars to anything. But like that's a closed star system, and it matches almost exactly. That's pretty mm-hmm. convincing. Pretty uh, yes. cool. Also, the fact that like they first were quiet, but then approached their community that told them to approach yeah. the military authorities and then they did it doesn't seem like they're you know attention seekers or and i know they actively didn't want to talk to people and so that when they when they finally started talking it was like just a few members of their church like it, i can't imagine the gravity of that to have something like yeah. that happen and be like well fuck now we reason to think i'm nuts totally. like, yeah. Yeah. i don't typically believe in hypnosis either you're what was the name of the hip the hypnotist benjamin button it's <laughs> Benjamin Button. Uh, is it, uh, something Simon, Dr. Simon. What's funny, though, is the first time she or they asked a, about a hypnosis, the person they were talking to was military. And he said, it shouldn't be me that does this. I'm, I'm not good enough at, at hypnotizing. He's like, do you, you have a psychiatrist, right? Go talk to him. Huh. He's like, I'm, I can do it, but I'm not good enough. I want you to go see a professional. Wow. So at the time, they, they, I guess they had more weight. More I don't weight. really know how hypnosis works nowadays. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Huh. Brian, do you think that aliens are scary? Do you think that these gray men with blue lips that just want to pick you up and and poke your parts, is that terrifying to you? Or are you more scared Uh, of of somebody sticking you in a tree? I'm more scared of somebody sticking me into a tree. I'm I'm going to stick you in a tree. I'm just telling you right now. (laughs) I'm going to stare into your soul then. (laughs) Touche. Guys, please, please stop. (laughs) Don't do these things. (laughs) Both are terrible. I'm going to stick this motherfucker in a tree. I'm gonna I'm gonna beep and zap you all the way into my eyes. Beep, 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 zap. Hey, come on, come on. Let's not joke about that. <laughs> hey, Joey, okay. you're gonna wake yeah. up and I'm gonna be standing in your doorway and you're you gonna look at her. me and I'm just be looking at you going. Beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, oh, I guess that's kind of fun. <laughs> but his but, body's gonna be in a tree. You're just gonna see his arms and legs sticking oh, no. out. <laughs> I hate that. Put well, Brian well. down the Joey Elm. <laughs> oh no! I can tell you that I'm scared enough that my butthole is clenched. Tight. There's no way yeah. anybody can probe in there right now. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Mine's open for a cylinder or two. Yeah. Uh, well, great job. I think hey, you know these what? are the best spooky Halloween stories by the fire we've ever had. Yep. Yeah. I'm terrified and I feel great. Um, happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Hey, trick or hey, treat. Sh- huh? um, so yeah. if you have abduction stories, let us know. If you know who put Bella down the witch elm, let us know. If you know where Kevin is, um, we kind of <laughs> we, we kind of miss him. <laughs> we don't know yeah, where he is. We're concerned, yes. Kevin. If you if you hear this, just just reach out to us, Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> hey, if you like what we're doing, guys, um, check out the Instagrams, the Storyhole Podcast. 
send us an email at storyholepodcast at gmail.com. Find our Kevin. Do I have a thing to say? Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. Hey. But also find our find our Kevin. Find, find, our, find Kevin. our Kevin. And also try my product. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Beep boop, beep boop. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.